your kingdom. And in Jesus' name I pray, amen. I hope everybody from first service introduced themselves to second service. Uh, I heard some of that this morning of, uh, I haven't seen them in a long time, didn't realize they're gone, so that's good. Uh, at least one person, uh, I will remain nameless, from North Dakota, called me a wimp this morning for calling out the first service. So, uh, But I, you can understand that if you're from North Dakota, you're going to you're, you're look at this and think, what, you kidding me? Uh, so anyway, we're, we're glad you're all here, and, and as Susan said, and thanks, Susan. Susan's supposed to have done that the last three months, but when you have four kids, you can almost guarantee this time of year one of them is going to be sick. So, so this was, and we really put it to work this morning up front and everything, so thanks, Susan, for walking us through what's going on this week and, and uh, our body life. Uh, we're into a, a series called Corinthians Captions. We're, we're working off, of, we're working our way through the book of 1 Corinthians, but we're working off the captions and, uh, that are at the top of the passages. As I've said, those are man-made. Those are not part of the original text, but uh, uh, as they were translated into English, in fact, the chapter, nu- chapter numbers and the verse numbers, that's all part of what uh, got put in later on by translators to help us find our way around, around it. This was actually a letter that, that a guy named Paul, who uh, was one of the, uh, actually one of the, op- some of the opposition to Christ when he did his ministry on earth, but came to a point he saw the resurrected Christ and uh, he did an about face, and, and most of the New Testament is written by uh, the Apostle Paul, and this is one of the letters he wrote to the church in Corinth. Uh, so we're kind of walking through, and this is, remember, this is a church that was really on a, a path of self-destruction. They were imploding, uh, and we're going to see some of the reasons why, and, and, and some of, as Paul moves us now really into more of the reasons of, or, or the way to be healthy, because that's really what we're framing this. We want to be healthy as individuals, as believers, even as societies, because the kind of things we're talking about will impact a whole society, will impact a community. So we're kind of walking through, learning what we can learn from this letter Paul wrote to this church that was really in, in trouble uh, and uh, trying to help them to regroup. So so as we move into today's passage, uh, I, I, first time I probably ever heard this statement of course, this thing isn't going to work today, so maybe advance a slide for me. I don't know what's going on. Try. You, you, did you? Okay, there we are. Go one back. So, so uh, first time I ever heard this statement, not my monkey, not my circus, was my wife. 
I can't remember who she was saying it about, if it was me or what the, was going on, uh, but I've, I've changed the version. You're going to understand why. I've changed it to My Monkey, My Circus, and, and I, think, I hope you get a sense of why as we, as we walk through this. So Paul begins, we're into chapter 8 now, so if you have your Bibles, open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 8, uh, or if you're using your devices, uh, you can uh, use them to uh, get to 1 Corinthians chapter 8. And we're going to walk down through this passage, and, and Paul starts off verse 1, and this, is, this isn't working, so I'm going to have to use you, Chuck, so go ahead to the next slide. He starts off chapter 1 by making this statement. Now, about food, sacrifice to idols. And some of you right about now are saying, okay, I could have stayed in bed this morning. It's cold. I'm sore because I shoveled snow again. Third time this week, I shoveled snow. The kids slept in for the first time. Isn't it amazing how kids always sleep on Sunday morning? When you, and that's the morning they don't want to get out of bed. They don't want to get moving. Yes, Saturday, they're up and ready to go. And, and so the kids slept in, and, and so... I made us all get up and get ready and come here so that we could talk about idols, food sacrifice. What on earth does that have to do with me? Well, maybe the next slide will help you. This next passage, as Paul goes on, Chuck, move me on to the next one. Uh, As Paul goes on, he says, now, we all possess knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but love, love builds up. The man who thinks he knows something does not yet know as he ought to know, but the man who loves God is known by God. It's clear now, right? (laughs) <laughs> okay, I get you. It's like, okay, what on earth is going on? And I think for us to understand what's going on, what's going on in the heart of Paul in this situation, how it impacts the Corinth church, and, and then even more so, how, how does it re- uh, apply to me, we need to walk back into some history of what's going on in, in Corinth. And so let me tell you a little bit about Corinth. Next slide shows us that uh, uh, here's, here's Corinth. It's right in that, that section, that narrow section there. And this is a pretty amazing thing. This, this, uh, what you're seeing there is, uh, there is that's a four-mile stretch. And in that four-mile stretch, you have the, the Asian Sea on one side, the Mediterranean Sea on the other side. You have uh, Asia on one side. You have Italy or Europe on the other side. So you can imagine, this was a port city to beat all port cities. You, got, you had all this wealth coming in and all this trade, and all this, this is just an amazing place to, to bring these, these two continents, these two areas together. And because of it, it is a very wealthy city. In fact, the best of the best that the world has to offer, you could find in Corinth at this particular time in history. I will also tell you that the worst of the worst of the worst that the world put out there was in the city of Corinth. So there are a lot of things going on, uh, and we'll see some verses that apply to it to, in a moment. But, but one of the things was it was also the focus of, of a particular type of worship. And here's the, the, the remains, actually, of the temple in Corinth, the temple of Aphrodite. Uh, and, and she was the goddess of love, beauty, pleasure, and procreation. And, and it, was, uh, this, it was a very wealthy religion. It was a cult for sure. Uh, it was a religion that was based, just matter-of-factly, on immorality. This temple at one time uh, supported over a thousand male and female prostitutes. Prostitution was part of the religion. It was, in fact, I'll, I'll show you a quote. In fact, I think maybe it's the next slide. This is a, this is a quote. One of the, uh, no, we're not there yet, but uh, so, so this, this was a city with all the good things that, that you might want to have, it was a city with 
all the wickedness that the world could ever come up with, that humanity could come up with, you found it in the midst of this city, uh, an amazing place. And, and so Paul, and we, we didn't get into this last week, got into chapter 6 last week, but Paul kind of lays out, some, and it's not just about this false worship and, and this uh, religion based on immorality. And it's amazing, as I was studying, that there were things that, that were part of this immorality that, that uh, in fact, I was reading a couple to my wife, and she says, uh, you can't share that, and I'm not going to. But it's just, it was disgusting. It was, it's just amazing that w- w- things that were part of this, quote, worship of God's. But there's a lot more to, to what was going on in this community as well. And Paul got into that back in chapter 6. We didn't look at it, but I want to look at it this morning because he kind of does this list that gives you an idea. He says, do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor the idolaters, next slide check, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers. Man, you start reading through this list, you're saying, whoa, what, what a crazy place to live in. You, you know, you couldn't trust anybody. Uh, the, the, the model of the day was do what you want to do in, in, in whatever frame of life. Party, party, party was part of the atmosphere. You know, there, there were, uh, uh, there was, unfaithfulness in marriage, and that was commonplace, you, you know, uh, you, and you can imagine, some of you have been, you know about that environment, but that was part of the Corinth city, and Paul is writing to him, he says, you know, the, the individuals who have, are stuck in this, and remember, we've walked through the Corinth church, the problem is it's, it's seeped into this church, and probably that's not the way to say it, it came with the people into this church, and, and so it was, it was a very difficult place. In fact, I think the quote next I was talking about, one of, yeah, uh, uh, back in 8020, uh, this guy wrote, he said, because because it was a poor city, he said, the voyage to Corinth isn't just for, isn't for just any man. And what he was saying about that was, if, if you really didn't have a firm foundation, if you're, if you're a, a sailor going into the city of Corinth, and you aren't going in there with some sort of blinders on and with your hand on your wallet and, uh, you know, and deliberately steering away from certain parts of cities, it was the ruin of many a sailor who came into this city. They'd come into this city and lose themselves in the mess of what was going on around this particular city. And so this was a famous quote that, that was written about, you know, if not every sailor should sail into the port of Corinth because... You may never get out. Your, your life may be destroyed in this city. And so Paul is writing to this church because this stuff has seeped into the church, but maybe not in the way that uh, you're anticipating. I think in a, in, a, in a different framework. And so that's what he goes into. But here's the amazing thing. So he writes this thing, and he, and he goes to this list, and he says, here, you know, all these kinds of individuals that are caught up in these things, wickedness, adultery, uh, homosexuality, uh, sexual immorality. He goes through this whole list, swindlers. Uh, and, he, and then he goes and he makes this statement, this amazing statement in, in the next verse. Go, you've missed it there. And that is what you are. Some the one go back, Chuck. And that is what some of you were. That's what some of you were. And, and in fact, when he says were, 
it's not like, you know, you can go through that list and, and uh, you know, I can, I can remember the time that uh, I, uh, I, I, was, I was a kid and I went into the only store in town. This is Pierceville, Kansas, a little town of less than 100 people. Went into the only store in town and uh, didn't have any money, but I wanted some penny candy. There used to be actually a thing called penny candy. In fact, you could actually fill a bag. For 10 cents, you could fill a bag of candy way back when. That took the day I didn't have any money, and so I decided that I would just use my pockets. Uh, well, you don't do that in a small town because by the time I got home, the store, the lady that owned the store had called my dad. My dad, met, so it's, you know, small towns, you don't get away with that kind of stuff. So uh, I, I uh, was a thief that day. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that's who I was my whole life. In fact, I learned a really, really important lesson that day. My dad made sure of it in more ways than one, let me just tell you. So, but, but he's saying, when he says that is what some of you were, he said, this was your lifestyle. This was not just a, oh, I slipped up. This was their lifestyle. That whole list that we looked at, he says, that's, that would have been the description of you and the way you lived your life. But you were sanctified. That means you were, God took you out of that, he's saying to these people, and he set you apart. That's what that means. Uh, it, was, it was used of, of, of when of maybe you have in your house, maybe, you know, kind of this is maybe one of those past things, but, or maybe you grew up in a house where your mom had this fine china that you only saw on very special occasions. And, and so it was set apart for those special occasions. God, he says you are sanctified. God has cleaned you up and set you apart. You, you were justified. You know, that's the problem. When you, if, if you lived a lifestyle of, in any of these things, if we were plagued by this, you know, well, how could I possibly, how could I possibly before, stand before a God who's holy, huh? knowing what I know about myself? And he says, well, you were justified. You were declared not guilty. Why? In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So these people had come to that understanding that, that God's offer of forgiveness was a, is a gift, a gift paid for, yes, because gifts are always paid for, but paid for by Jesus Christ, by God the Son, God in the flesh, as he hung on that cross and paid for the penalty of sin. And, and so he says, you've come to a place where you've been justified, and you know why. Not because you figured it out and straightened yourself out, and, and now you're a better person because you pulled yourself up by your own bootstraps. No, because you, came to, you accepted that gift of forgiveness. And now you've been, the, later on, Paul's going to talk about the fact that you were, you were placed into the body of Christ. You became part of the family of God by the Spirit. And so he says, this is a remarkable thing. That's what you were, but you're not that anymore. But here's the problem. When you've had that kind of a background, there's baggage that comes with it, isn't there? There's memories, there's scars, there's struggles, there's relationships that maybe were part of the damage done along the way. And, and those things don't just go away, even though God has cleansed us and, and declared us clean and justified us and adopted us as family. And, and so the, here's these people that were described by all that list we looked at a moment ago, and they come into this church, but they come into this church with this baggage, these memories, these things are part of who they are. Go on the next slide, Chuck, if you don't mind. And, and part of, for some of them, was this worship in this temple of 
Aphrodite that was so, so full of immorality. Next slide. So we go back to the chapter 8, the first verse, and he says, so, so about food sacrificed to idol. And the next slide will tell you, he, this is an illustration. So he, he says, I want to give you an illustration of a part of what is the problem within this church that's causing it to be such a destructive place. He says, so then about eating food sacrificed to idols. We know that an idol is nothing at all in the world. <laughs> it's, an idol is nothing at all in the world. All through Scripture you see that. Even the Old Testament talks about the fact that, you know, here's these individuals. We read, In fact, we read early on in this study uh, a quote, I think it was from Isaiah, where he talks about the fact that here's this individual. He goes out and he gets this wood and he cuts the wood and he fashions it into this figure. He sets a figure up on a post. He takes the, the remains and the, and the scraps of the wood. He uses that to build a fire to keep himself warm. And he gets on his knees and he worships that idol. And, and so he says this is, this is a common problem, but in this case... Uh, these folks are, when he talks about the idols, he's talking about this temple, this immorality. And he said, now we know that she's nothing. That is not a true goddess. There is, there's only one God. And we know that the, that the artifacts and the things that were around that temple, they were just stone. They didn't mean a thing. Because we know that there is one God. There is no God but one. So the issue here, he says, you, we all have that knowledge, or some of us have that knowledge, but the, 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 that idol is nothing. But there's a problem. We know that we all possess knowledge. Now, he's not defining what the knowledge is here. He's saying all of us have elements of knowledge, and, and it'll be in the framework of our worship of God. But here's the problem with knowledge. Knowledge has a tendency to puff up. And, and knowledge has a tendency to make someone think, I'm, I'm ahead of the game. I'm the notch up. And, and it happens in the body of Christ as well. Knowledge has a tendency to puff up. He's going to give an illustration. He's going to continue this illustration, trying to help us understand this, with this discussion about idols. And we'll talk more about it in a moment. But knowledge has a tendency to puff, puff up, but love builds up. So he says, we have this dichotomy in the church, and what is happening is, in this, among you as believers, you individuals who come into this church and this relationship with Jesus Christ, there are all kinds of backgrounds, and some of you have figured some things out that others have not. And what has happened as you've gained this knowledge, instead of responding and using the knowledge as a way to love each other, you're puffed up. You're judging each other. You're being insensitive to each other. And, and so he goes on and says, let me explain to you what I mean as he walks down on through this passage. But not everyone knows this. Some people are still so accustomed to idols that when they eat such food, they think of it as having been sacrificed to an idol. And since their conscience is weak, it's defiled. So he says, all right, here's the problem. Using idols, temple this temple meet as an illustration. Let me tell you what, what the problem is in the church at Corinth. Now, he could have gone any direction. He could have went the direction. Some of those people had grown up in homes that were, 
that were full of immorality and adultery, you know, where, where the, the dad was telling the kids, you know, don't tell your mom what you saw. They grew up in that kind of environment. So, so that's the baggage they came up with in here. And you can imagine if you were told by the people you look to and respect as the ones who are supposed to guide you in, in how you live your life, and that's your memory, and that's what your background has been, you can imagine how it's damaged you and how you don't, you have a hard time thinking right about this, and you can imagine what it does for future marriages, and, and some of you have walked through this where, you know, you have a spouse that doesn't do that, but, but you're always wondering because this is what you grew up with, and he says, so, so, so he could use that as an illustration. He says, some of you grew up in, in houses where, or, or you're in our community where swindling was just, it was part of life. Yeah, my wife used to babysit for a couple uh, when she was young, and this she would she babysit for this couple, and at the end of the evening, the mother would pay her for the babysitting. And as soon as she got in the car, the husband would take her home. He would take the money back. He was a swindler. Now, she cared for this family, so she kept babysitting, even though she never got paid because he would always take it away from her. Uh, he ended up in prison because he was a swindler. Well, you can imagine if you grew up with that or if that was just kind of the norm of society, which is what he's saying was true in, in Corinth, you can imagine what it does. You have a hard time trusting anybody. And, and so some of them have come out of that. They come out of that environment, and they're having a real hard time. You know, It's really hard to take someone at their word. Just because they said it. Yeah, I've had people tell me that before. And he says, that's your background. Some, some of them, you know, he, he, he says, some of you that you were, were brought up, uh, you were brought up in this culture where slander is just part of it. You know, where you, if you remember, remember back to, to uh, the, in the, prior to this, a few years, just remember when there, Christ is being going through the trial and Pilate's involved. And, and you remember, and this is so commonplace, Pilate did not want to go through with the crucifixion. He, he knew it was an innocent man. He made that declaration. And, and then the chief priest, the Sadducee, says, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to tell the Caesar that you're a traitor, that you're not loyal, that you're actually protecting an individual who's declared that he's the ruler of the Jewish people. Well, that was slander. That was not true, but you remember Pilate took it serious. That was a the turning point for him, because that was so much a part of the realm of that day, is people could say anything they want. It didn't have to be true, but, but the, especially those in leadership, man, they knew that a false rumor, a false statement, a fake story, and suddenly everybody's doubting you. And so this is the environment there. And so Paul could have used any of these illustrations as he, as he moved, but, he, but, but a common illustration for them was what was taking place in that temple that cult. And, and so you had folks that were brought up in that temple, and they were brought up in that immorality. They had lived that from childhood on up. And so that, and then God saved them out of that. But man, all those memories were there. And here's what would happen. There were folks in the know who said, they, they when when they, they heard the scriptures and they heard what Paul said and, and they'd come to this understanding that, you know, that, that goddess Aphrodite, she's a fake. She's a phony. There's no such thing. There's no power there. There's no God there. And, and so when they, and part of what that worship was, they would offer this meat to her 
that was part of the sacrifice. Well, then you could, there's actually a restaurant. We'll see that so in the temple. And you could go eat at the restaurant. I, and it probably had the best of meat because this is the meat people brought. And, so, so, uh, and money was a big part of this whole worship system. So they would make, they'd take this, the finest of the meats offered, and then they'd op- sell it at the restaurant. You could go eat at the restaurant and have a really fine, you know, the best of the best. And, and so what was happening is there's individuals who, they looked at that and they said, she's nothing, so the meat was offered to nothing, so I'm going to go and enjoy a good steak. But there are others who, that steak reminded them of a whole history of destruction in their life. And here's the problem. He says, be careful then, however, that you exercise your exercise that the exercise of your freedom does not become a stumbling block to the weak. So he said, here's what is happening. You, rightfully or so, you're right that Aphrodite is nothing. She's not a goddess. The meat was offered to nothing. Nothing has happened to that meat. You're right when you say that, but you're being insensitive to your fellow believers who, for them, that meat reminds them of a whole history of destructive elements of their life, things that maybe destroyed their parents and and things that are, are in their memories that they've never been able to totally rid their memories of. And when they see you going and eating at that restaurant... It is a danger. In fact, he says, for anyone who has a weak conscience, and that's the person that, that looks at the meat and they're saying, I know, I, I know I should, I know it, I know she's not a real God, but man, I, that, I just can't, that meat's, it just brings back all these memories. And, and so their conscience is weak. They struggle with that. They, they, have, they cannot separate what used to be in their life with, with what they know is true, but, it, but it's still giving them this battle inside. And he said, when you go and without being sensitive to what's going on in your brother and sister's life, when you go and eat at the restaurant or buy the meat, or you're in danger of causing your brother. In fact, won't he be emboldened to eat what has been sacrificed to either other? He says, here's the problem, that you might... You might, by your insensitivity, cause him. You bring up these memories, these things that he's been trying to forget and trying to take out of his life, these destructive patterns that were so much a part of who he once was, and, and your insensitivity sensitivity might cause him, your lack of love might cause him to fall back. And as a result, this weak brother for whom Christ died, and that's a big point, Christ died for him, is destroyed. He's ruined. His loss of well-being, he loses his well-being because you were insensitive to what was going on in his heart. I had a, when I was uh, back in college, I've showed you this before, uh, the way I, I provided for my family part of the college time because my wife and I got, got, got married uh, after my freshman year, I think. Uh, and so... We, as, as our family grew, I was providing that, but I worked at a factory, and actually a bunch of guys from the college, Bible college I went to, we all worked at this factory, and one guy's name was Steve, and, and Steve, uh, you know, it's really interesting, Steve started, we would carpool together to save money, we're all poor college guys, and so we, we would all ride in together, and because and, uh, we were on the same shift, it would, we'd go to school in the morning, and we had afternoon, evening shift, 
And so we'd ride together, and, and uh, we'd take turns card pulling. And, and uh, what, yeah, what I would get, got in my car. One, one day Steve got in. He was in the front seat beside me, and I had the radio on, and I'm listening to, you know, some, some good 60s, 70s, 80s music, you know, the new stuff, which is now in the old station, which really bothers me. But I'm, I, so I have this on, and I'm, I'm playing it, and I'm kind of enjoying the music. In fact, all of us are. And Steve reaches over and turns my radio off. I look down, and I said, what are you doing? He says, I like that music. I said, well, it's not your car. And I reached over, and I turned it back on. Probably up a little bit louder. I don't know, maybe. <laughs> and uh, Steve didn't say anything after that, but he certainly wasn't happy. He got a little red in the face. Well, I didn't know Steve very well. He was, he was a new student. And, uh, but as I got to know Steve, I heard his story. Now, Steve, had he was a Vietnam vet, and uh, he, he was one of those guys in the, in the scene as he was over there. He was, got sucked into the drug scene, and it almost destroyed his life. And a big part of that drug scene was the very music that I was listening to. There was nothing. The music was wrong, and it wasn't. You know, I didn't, but, but it brought up this history for him. And suddenly I realized that I was being very unloving and very insensitive to a brother. Was there anything wrong with that music? There wasn't. There wasn't. But if I cared about Steve, I was going to be careful. Yeah, I was going to, and it, and it doesn't mean I never listened to that music. You might get in my truck now and you're going to still hear the oldies now, as they're called. In, uh, but... My heart should be for my brother more than getting my way and my freedom. Did I have the freedom? Yeah, I had the freedom. But see, here, here's the issue. Here's what Paul's so concerned about is the misuse of freedom, you know, of not loving each another. And he's not saying that I have to, that something you don't like, I have to define my life by. That's not what he's saying. These are bigger things. They're not just a matter of preferences. These are things that folks had come out of that, that, were you know a husband you 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 marry a wife who has had a history of of uh, harmful boyfriends or maybe a previous marriage that, that that broke up because of adultery and and all of a sudden you know you come late home from late run night and she's furious at you she's furious and you're and and you're trying to figure out you you didn't do anything wrong and and you're and it comes out that well this is the history I had and and you're and you may say well it's not fair no it's not because I'm not that kind of a guy no you're not but your high heart wife's heart's been harmed and there's this love and sensitivity that says okay I understand here let me help next time if I'm gonna be late here's I'll let you know. I'll tell you what's going on. I'll tell you. I'll keep you up. So see, this is all part of this, this loving and caring for each other. He goes on. He, he starts explaining some of these things and as we move down through the slides. Uh, so when you sin against your brothers, and he says that's what it is, when you're insensitive, when you're unloving, when you, you don't care enough about a brother or sister to give up something that, yeah, it's your right, it's your freedom, but you know it'll cause him harm or her harm. You know their background. Or maybe you don't, but there's a sense that it's bothering them. He says, when you're not sensitive, when you sin against your brothers in this way and wound their weak conscience, yeah, do they have to? Is there something wrong with eating that meat? Nope, not a thing. 
But for them there is, because there is a memory history there that goes away, then you sin against Christ because, and, and it's interesting. Uh, in fact, go on, check. Let's look at the next slide. He says, knowledge puffs up. He goes back to that, but love builds up. He says, this is all about, yeah, you might know, you might be, you might be exactly right, but if you use your knowledge, and he's going to go on this in more detail when we get to chapter 13. If you use your knowledge in an unloving way, you're in sin. We're in sin, and that's what's destroying this body of believers. There's such an insensitivity sensitivity to each other. So he goes on. I think. No, he doesn't. That's the end slide. So here's the issue. You, you know, as we started this, you're thinking, well, idols and meat and what does it have to do? It has to do with all of us. Because Paul's heart for this church is they have to love each other. You know, it's really interesting. John, there's a, there's, there was a verse, one of those verses, I, and I forgot to point it out. He talks about uh, he says that uh, you, you love God. But, but John made it clear when he wrote in, in his, one of his epistles, he says, uh, you know, you say you love God, but you don't love your brothers and sisters? You're lying. You're, at least you're lying to yourself. Because those two go hand in hand. And if my heart is for God, then my heart is going to be for his children. And I'm going to be sensitive, and I'm, and I'm going to care. I'm going to be careful. Uh, they, they, they may be struggling with something that they shouldn't be struggling with. You know it. You know what the Word of God says. shouldn't be a problem. shouldn't be an issue. But it is an issue. And, and Paul says the godly response, the loving response is, so be careful. Protect them. Don't, don't, don't uh, throw your freedom on them understand the struggle that's going on in their heart. Help them come through that. Help them, help them get from weak to strong. Because right now, that's a weak area for them. And we all have our weak areas. That's the reality. The reality is every person in this room came with a history. Every one of us. And issues that may bother you, they don't bother me at all, and vice versa. And I may be have, man, you know, I may be able to point you to verse, chapter, verse, and say, you should not be worried about this. Here's what the Word of God says. Yeah, but it still bothers me. I'm still struggling with this. And so God says, my response, if I love you and if I'm godly, is I'm going to be sensitive to what's going on in your life. I'm going to help you through this. I'm going to show that I care about you. And so Paul's concern, his concern here is not temple meat. And it's, 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 uh, he knows about all that, all that baggage, all that immorality that was part of the Corinth city. He knows they've come through some hard things, but his concern is the way to beat that battle is to love each other well. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for, man, you hit us, you hit us right where we need to be hit. We, we can find it's so difficult sometimes to be sensitive to each other, especially when, when uh, I... I have a brother or sister, and they're battling something, and I know that they shouldn't be bad. It's not, you know, why Why you make such a big deal of that? It's where God's made it clear that's not a big deal, and yet it is a big deal to them, and, and their conscience is, is they're struggling with it. And if I'm not careful, I take my knowledge and I use it to puff up, to cause me to be insensitive, to want to show myself as a strong one and a brother, sister of Christ is a weak one, and 
And that is such an unloving response. Paul's concern for this church, as, as many issues as he raised in this passage, in these couple passages, that were part of the, the, the part and parcel of, of what they had grown up in, the baggage that came with them into this church family. As big a deal as that is, Paul, Paul understood that the resolution, the way to battle that is to love each other well to care for each other, to be sensitive to each other, to place each other before ourselves. Thanks for this reminder. Thanks for this very important passage of Scripture that hits us right in the battlefield where we find ourselves so often. And in the midst of all that, Lord, as we love each other well, you have made it clear that a watching world will look at the way we love each other and they'll want to know you that want to know what it is that makes us tick and that will draw them to our God, which is what we're here for. Pray these things, Lord, in your son's name. He is jealous for me.
Thanks for worshiping with us. Have a great Sunday, and we'll see you next week.